The reading is taken from Luke chapter 1 and verses 26 to 56. And this could be found on page 1025 in the church Bibles. The birth of Jesus foretold. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth <clears throat> heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfil his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel 
remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to particularly focus on um, Mary's song, um, sort of judging, hopefully, that, that many of you will have heard sermons on this passage uh, once or twice before, and so rather than do the whole thing, I want to uh, particularly focus on that wonderful song. So here's a question uh, to begin our service. What would make you, what would make you celebrate wildly and without inhibition? Don't have to do it now or tell the neighbor. But what, what, what would make you celebrate wildly? Maybe it would be the news that someone that you love is getting better. You know, they're coming home soon. Maybe it's that your country has finally escaped from oppression and you can look forward to a new freedom and prosperity. Perhaps it's the message that your money worries are over or your business worries are no more. You can start again. Maybe it's the telephone call or the letter confirming that you've got that place you wanted or the job that you've always looking for. Maybe more mundanely, it's your team won at the weekend. <laughs> Whatever it might be, you might do things in that moment especially if you're a Saints fan, uh, that uh, you wouldn't normally do. You might do a spontaneous dance around your lounge, or you might hug a friend, or you might call or text someone. You might start arranging a celebration. You might even sing a song. Mary's song that we're looking at this morning is one such song. She's been told by Gabriel that she will give birth to a son who would be God's son, the promised Messiah. This would be before she married her fiancé, Joseph. And then she did what young girls who are unexpectedly pregnant have often done. She leaves town. She went to be with her cousin, Elizabeth, up in the hill country, out of sight. And as Luke's readers, we already know that Elizabeth, a much older woman, is pregnant too. Mary does not know this yet. When she arrives, Elizabeth feels her baby do an excited kick inside her and knows that Mary too, in that moment she knows, is carrying a special child, the promised Messiah. You can imagine the stories that these two had to tell each other. It's now, at this moment, that Mary erupts into song. Maybe she's been too flustered or too preoccupied to think until now. Maybe it's Elizabeth's reaction that is the confirmation that she needs, that she's not cracking up. Let's look at Mary's song, though, in the context of her life. Lots of us, when we fall in love, and for a long time afterwards, borrow words from songwriters and poems to express how we feel. Anyone here in love? Thank you. Anyone here remember being in love? <laughs> You're supposed to have all put your hands up. Anyway, <laughs> we, when, when we're in love, don't we? especially the first flush of love, but hopefully a little bit longer, okay, we borrow words from songwriters, whether it's the Beatles or Taylor Swift, doesn't matter. Mary borrows words from the Old Testament, in particular the song that Hannah sang 
in celebration of the news that after all those years of painful waiting and humiliation, that she was going to have a son. Mary borrows some of these words and she makes them her own. And in doing so, she links herself to a long line of faithful women through Old Testament times, women like Sarah and Rachel and Hannah, women called by God to serve and trust in unusual situations. She, Mary, will copy their faithfulness, their determination, their love for God. And when you listen to the song, you realize that what Mary is doing is celebrating this truth, God's got form. God's got form. Now, we normally, in English, we use that idea for horses or criminals or football clubs. Mary uses it daringly for God. Wow, God, she's saying, you are trustworthy and true. You've always been a God of mercy, and now I know it for myself. You've always been a God who lifts up the humble. Now you're lifting me. You've always been a God who fills the hungry and satisfies the thirsty. And here I am full of your goodness. You've always been a God who turns away the proud, who sends the rich away empty. And now I know you've decided to leave aside the royal house of Israel and you've chosen me, a poor country girl, to be the mother of your son. Wow! All that I've learnt and all that I've read from my earliest days, all the things that I've been told, they're true. I see it for myself. Now, for those of us who've been brought up in and around churches, whatever age we are now, this is a process, a journey that we must all go through. It's what we pray for our young people here at Christchurch. There comes a time when you step back and you decide whether God can still be believed and trusted, whether the things that you've been told, things that have been reported to you, are true. This is Mary's time. So through her, we see a link right back in time to some of the great characters of the Old Testament. She's also, though, looking forward. For she begins to see what her son Jesus will accomplish, what will come into being through him. One commentator has even suggested, and it is just a suggestion, we don't know, but has suggested that Mary sang this song to Jesus when he was a child. doesn't seem far-fetched to me as we know how careful and thoughtful she was. Maybe she did sing it to him gently so that this song became part of his thinking and hoping and praying. Mary's song helps us to understand her place within the Bible's history. She's She's a pivot point like John the Baptist with one foot solidly in the Old Testament, but one foot in the New. And what about Mary's song for us as followers of Jesus? This has been one of the most influential songs in the whole history of the Christian church. It's been whispered in monasteries and chanted in cathedrals and recited in small churches by candlelight and set to music with trumpets and kettle drums by bark. It's good news A fierce, bright shout of triumph, 30 weeks before Bethlehem, 30 years before the cross. 
And so it's a great sadness, isn't it, that within the Church of England, Mary's song, often with its Latin title, Magnificat, has got washed up in the service of evening prayer, a prayer that is so sparsely attended, numbers attending evening prayer in England started to go down after the Second World War, a service that is so sparsely attended and so subdued that this song is nearly unknown and it's loved more as a liturgical antique than a living song of praise. This song deserves better, doesn't it? It deserves to be center stage. It should be the template for any church's worshiping life. It has so much to teach us. Take its great starting point. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. This is the Christian's essential starting point, the desire to bring glory to God and to rejoice in his saving power. The older translations spoke of magnifying God, which gives us this image of great power, doesn't it? This is something that we do heart, soul, and mind. We give ourselves to a consideration of the greatness and the glory of God. When we think magnifying, sometimes we think sort of magnifying glass or looking at things under a microscope. And, and, and magnifying what we see there. I don't think that's the, the image that we need here. This is going to date me a little bit more. Some of you watched Batman, right, when you were younger, or had children that watched Batman. When, in Gotham City, where Batman lives, when they need Batman, they have a, one of those huge, great, kind of like a World War II searchlights with a, with a picture of a bat over it. And when Batman is needed, they, they get that out, this huge, great thing, and they point it up at the clouds, and on the clouds, you see a big imprint of a bat. And that's how Batman knows to come. That's the image here, isn't it? It's like, we need to get this massive, great searchlight, and we need to project it as high and wide so that as many people as possible can see it and marvel in it. That's what my soul magnifies the Lord means. That we want, to, we want visibly, demonstrably, so that everybody can see that God is great and that God is deeply involved in this amazing thing that is taking place at the birth of Jesus, a revelation that it is actually God himself who has come to us in human form. Our soul's desire in preparing for worship, in helping others to worship, is to glorify God as much as we can and to magnify his name. Our tone, our approach should be, get me a wall big enough. Get me a song that is beautiful enough. Get me a body of people prayerful and holy enough adequately to express our joy and our wonder in what God has done. Mary's song also teaches us a sobering lesson. It brings a warning against the rich the self-satisfied, the proud. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has sent the rich away empty. Wow. Those words should act like a perennial spiritual health check for each one of us. How am I approaching God? Is it in humility? Or is it vainly, proudly, as though, as though I 
am rich, and so therefore I need do no more than doff my cap in his presence. If that's the case, he will bring us low, and we will be able to understand little of his ways. As Sue said at the beginning, that we can become full of grace when we have been emptied of self. But this encourages those of us who do feel humbled and unsure or hungry or thirsty or wounded as we come into God's presence. God's form, Mary reminds us, God's form is unchanging. His speciality is putting together the brokenhearted, is lifting up those who've been humbled. And lastly, Mary's song reminds us as worshippers how, how to respond to God's truth. Mary's response to God wasn't an essay. It wasn't a well-polished argument. It wasn't even a quiet decision to be a better person. It was in faith and in love to say yes to God and what he required of her. And so admiring Mary's song or understanding its motives or soaking ourselves in one particular setting of it, it's not enough. Like Mary, we have to move to that place of humility and obedience where we say, yes, God, I, we as a community will serve you wholeheartedly, will step into the things that you have for us. I, I quite often play the mental game. I don't know if you play this. If I was a such and such, I'm, I'm sure some of you do, like if Simon really was the vicar, things like that. Uh, but if I, so I, the, play, the game I play is if, if I was a hotshot record producer, unlikely, it has to be said, but if, if I was, I think one of the first things that I would do would be to produce an album called Rainbow Magnificat. And it would be a compilation of how Mary's song is celebrated around the world. So you could start with the overflowing joy of the street carnival in Brazil. Just imagine how that song is played there about God being down in the gutter with the people. You could then move to the sweet mysteries of the English cathedral to the spirit of revolution in, say, Eastern Europe or other parts of the world, celebrating with the poor in Africa. I can imagine myself having such fun putting it together and maybe through the lens of the worldwide church, our appreciation of this great song would flower. But alas, I am not a hotshot record producer. Nor does it seem likely in the near future, but I am the pastor of this church. And so it is my responsibility to remind you of what this wonderful song meant to Mary and what it tells us about her son Jesus and inspire you to sing your own version. Some of us might do this musically, poetically, artistically, all of us can decide, as Mary did, to strive to glorify God and to check ourselves for pride and vanity 
and to respond obediently to God, even if, like Mary, the life that God has for us doesn't make complete sense. It's not the one we'd have chosen a week or two ago. But here she is, poised on the brink, celebrating with God, looking back and in a sense borrowing, plundering the Old Testament to say, God, you've always been like this and now you are like this for me. But also looking forwards and saying, I am your servant and I will play my part in making your salvation possible. Let's rescue this song uh, from where it has ended up and let's take to heart maybe just that single word, magnify. My soul magnifies and dwell on that as we clear through all the clutter and the nonsense of this season. And we, both individually and as a church, stand tall and say, this is what is going on at Christmas. Amen.